This message is a ministry of Plainville Baptist Church. www.plainvillebaptistchurch.org Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you, ask you to open our hearts to your word that you've placed upon our pastor's heart to uh, preach today, Lord, that we may uh, leave here with a fire burning for you, in your name, amen. Your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, and as you do, I'm going to read that thank you note from Jonathan Marjorie Bishop, and um, I would if it just didn't shut right off on me. Here we are. So um, Jonathan wrote, Dear brothers and sisters of Plainville Baptist Church, you've all been a great encouragement to our family during a very key time of need. When we set out for the Middle East, we anticipated challenges and trials, but we didn't guess that it might come from two of our children having special needs. And yet God in His wisdom chose this path for us. So now after two and a half years, wonderful years in Jordan, we've returned to the U.S. to get some testing done try to find effective treatment plans before we return to the Middle East. All of these tests, travels, and other changes have generated some significant costs, so the foresight you had in considering these needs and the grace of Christ you showed in reaching out to meet them has been a wonderful demonstration of God's goodness working through His body. Thank you. We are overwhelmed at times seeing all God's grace poured out to us through His people And your gifts and prayers are part of his special work he is doing to build his church in the Middle East. John writes in his third epistle about the faithfulness of believers doing well and showing love when they helped God's servants, folks that weren't even a part of their congregation. I know the Lord delights in your labor of love and gift for his name as well. It will count for eternity. Thank you one more time in Christ, Jonathan and Marjorie, Elisha, Susanna, Ephraim, and Isaiah. Amen. As, I, as we talk tonight, as we have our eschatology series, I'm um, very thankful to all of you for the questions. Uh, we have more than plenty of questions and we'll not cover them all tonight. Um, the first question we're going to cover is very um, Significant question, uh, but maybe a little controversial, and uh, so we're going to look at that tonight, and I, I hope, and pastorally speaking from a pastor's heart, I hope it's a help uh, to encourage your faith in the Lord, uh, and not a hindrance, not a, not a stumbling block. But let's uh, read together Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth and said, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees do the same. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, You cannot make the attendants of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? <clears throat> but the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. And he was also telling them a parable No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old. Otherwise, He will both tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. 
Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough, or the old is better. As we see these chapters, these last four chapters you've been, uh, sorry, seven chapters you've been reading from Luke from 4 to 11, they begin with the start of Jesus' ministry and culminates with sending out the 12 in chapter 9 and then 70 more in chapter 10, uh, the, the fullness of ministry to, to all the people of Israel. And as we see this beginning of Jesus' ministry. In chapter 5, it's the calling of His first disciples, calling them to follow Him. And in the beginning of chapter 5, we see Peter interacting with Jesus. Jesus comes to him. There's a crowd pressing around Jesus, and He goes to Simon while they were cleaning their nets, and He says, Simon, let me get into your boat and push a little way out to shore so I can speak to the people. And, And as He did so, He's speaking to the individuals, probably twofold. First of all, there were so many people crowding around him, he wasn't able to speak uh, clearly or properly. And, and secondly, the, the water acted as a natural amphitheater, magnifying um, the sound of his voice so that all the great crowd, thousands of people, could hear Jesus speaking. And then, after Jesus speaks, he tells Peter, push out just a little way for a catch. And Peter, maybe being a little annoyed at this non-fisherman, says, Lord, we worked all day. We worked all night, and, and, and we haven't caught anything. And this isn't the time to fish. But at your word, I'll do that. And, and as, he, as he instantly drew in this large catch of fish, he was overwhelmed with the understanding that this wasn't just some good teacher, but that He was Lord. And He calls Him Lord. And I don't know if you ever noticed, while He called His partners, both boats were almost swamping because of the number of fish. Peter falls down before Jesus in this boat full of fish and realizes who He is. Depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And, and I think about that song we, we sang, let me see you in all your power and glory and your holiness. Do you understand what you're asking for when you sing that? When Isaiah saw God in all His glory and holiness, he said, woe is me, for I am an unclean man. When you want to see God in His holiness and His power, it's going to reveal to you how sinful you are. So I hope you understand that as you're singing that. You're asking God to reveal Himself to you, and the distinction between you and Him are going to be made known, because holiness means being different, set apart. And you're going to see that He is and you aren't. Not that that's a bad thing. I just want you to know what you're asking for when you sing that. But Peter calls out and he says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus, at that point, calls him by his grace. I know you're a sinful man, Peter. Come follow me. And so he calls Peter. And it it deals with our topic today, the new versus the old, the old versus the new, because Jesus said, I'm going to teach you a new way of fishing, different than the old way of fishing. Mike and I, we were talking about fishing before uh, Sunday school this morning. uh, But there's a new way of fishing, Peter. See, the old way of fishing, the old way of fishing was physical. The old way of fishing was catching fish. The new way of fishing was spiritual. It was catching people. It was bringing people into the boat of salvation. So he was calling Peter to a new kind of fishing. And then as we start in verse 27, the passage we just read, we see Jesus calls Matthew or Levi to follow him also. 
And it's significant that he calls this man Levi. It's significant that he's a tax collector because Jewish tax collectors were not well-loved. I don't know if there are any tax collectors that are well-loved. As a matter of fact, we just picked up 87,000, or we are, 87,000 new ones in our country, um, just to make sure you're paying your due share. But they weren't well-loved in Israel because, first of all, they were seen as traitors. They were in the payroll of the oppressor, of the occupier. They were working for Rome. But secondly, they, were also, they also had this little air about them that they weren't the most honest people, that they took extra for themselves along with that. And so it's important here that Jesus calls Matthew. He chose Matthew because he wanted everyone to know that his ministry was not just to the well-loved people of Israel, but even to those who might not be so well-loved. Now, Matthew throws this party for Jesus so he can introduce his friends to the Messiah. But this leads to two points of contention between Jesus and the Pharisees. Two points of contention that bring their differing views between the new and the old into focus. There are two things that the Pharisees bring up that had to do with their tradition, the way they'd done things for many years. First of all, Jesus, you're eating with sinners. Now, Jesus didn't eat with sinners just to eat with sinners. He ate with sinners that they might be brought into a relationship with God, that they might have their relationship with God mended. If you have, if you have, if you're eating with sinners, it should be to see their broken relationship with God mended. You're eating with sinners. Secondly, you're not fasting. You're not fasting. The Pharisees typically fasted twice a week as a matter of course and as a basic, they saw it as a, as a basic aspect of personal righteousness. In their thinking, it made them more acceptable to serve God. It made them closer to God. It made them more able to be heard by God. These differences accentuated can be distilled down to two things. Two things that separate Jesus from their tradition. The first one is, you're doing things that we don't. Understand that? They're telling him, you're doing things that we don't. You eat with tax collectors and sinners. We don't. But secondly, you're not doing something that we do. You're not doing something, you don't fast. And so right on that basis, they are distinguishing themselves from Jesus by what they don't do by what they do. And so we see this, and in regard to their question, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Actually, the question, and we can see it more clearly in one of the other Gospels, it wasn't directed to Jesus. They were going behind His back to cause dissension. They were asking His disciples, why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, overhearing them or knowing that what they were saying, went and addressed it. And you can see the second question was addressed by John's disciples to Jesus himself from one of the other Gospels. 
So they weren't going around. They really wanted the answer to that question. The Pharisees wanted to distance the apostles from Jesus. And so the answer to that question, his response, his response to them details his new mission. I have a new mission. And this is what it's about. And he tells them, I did not come. The, the physician does not treat those who are well, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, <clears throat> excuse me, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Excuse me. Clearing out the dust from yesterday's games. <clears throat> Sitting in there. Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners to repentance. The reason he, the reason he was meeting with these sinners was to call them to repentance and to bring them back to the Father. He's going out to these prodigal sons and daughters of Abraham and calling them back to God. The doctor doesn't make house calls to those who are well. He doesn't treat those who are healthy, but those who are sick. Nor does he go to those who pretend to be healthy, even if they are sick because they won't take his prescriptions and they won't accept his treatments. And so you see that and you recognize that. This is what Jesus was doing. He was going to those who were truly sick and those who were acknowledging their sickness. This is why Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn on you and tear you up. Don't offer grace to those who are proud, but to those, those who are humble. The law was meant to humble the proud heart so that they would become humble to receive the grace of God. Now, Jesus was not offering himself to those who were not righteous so much as self-righteous. He was going to those who truly were ready to hear the good news of finding and receiving this mended relationship with God. You see, the religious system of Judaism, in what had happened and what had become, became an overbearing system, a burden on the necks of the disciples which no one could bear. The leaders placed so many requirements beyond the law that it pushed all but most, all but most, the most committed to that system away from a visible worship of God. The common people thought they had no way ever to come to God because they couldn't reach such a level of personal holiness. They were told, you can't possibly be true Jews because you're not as holy as us. The problem was that these religious leaders were good at hiding what was actually in their heart. But Jesus could see it. And that's why they didn't like him. Because he exposed their heart by his teachings, by his questions, by his actions. They were exposed, he was exposing their hearts. And they didn't like that. You see, sometimes after he asked them a question, or sometimes after he was teaching, or after he did something, it says they went and they plotted to do away with him. Because what he was doing and what he was saying and what he was asking was revealing what was in their heart. And it was a proud heart, not ready and willing to receive the grace of God. The system. And, and Jesus didn't seek to overturn the system for, over, for the sake of overturning the system. But the, the system had been put in place to hide the true condition of their heart by those in charge. You see, it wasn't 
just Judaism itself. See, because that always was meant to point to Jesus. The sacrificial system and the, 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 the priesthood and all of those things pointed to the one true priest, Jesus Christ. They always pointed to the one true sacrifice, Jesus Christ. But it was this system. We have to ask ourselves at some point, at what point are we making our own system? Whether it's in my life personally or whether it's in our church corporately. What are we doing? By Jesus' statement, He wasn't saying, He wasn't calling people who are good to repent. He was calling people to stop pretending that they were good and repent. For until they acknowledged their sinful heart, they had not come to repentance. The tax collectors and the sinners were willing to come to Jesus because they had no pretension about the fact that they were anything but sinners. He called those who were spiritually and morally bankrupt blessed. Not because it was better to be worse sinners, but because those who were recognized and acknowledged their spiritual needy position that has a door open to them by God who will make them right by faith. And we're all in that condition. We're all morally, spiritually bankrupt. And as soon as we begin to say, I'm not, we become self-righteous like the Pharisee. You see, Jesus presents now two parables to show the complete distinction between the old way that they heartily clung to and the new way that Jesus offered to make people right with God. Two ways. The first parable is about a new patch being thrown onto an old garment. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, you'll both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. You know, God taught me something this week because every time I was reading that, I was reading it in the words of the other gospel that has this account. The, the other gospel that has this account says, no one takes a new patch and puts it on an old garment. So every time I read that for the first five or six times, I was reading it in that thought. Maybe about the 10th or 15th time, I began to see Jesus isn't saying the same thing in this one. Do you hear what he's saying? No one takes a patch cut out from a new garment and places it on an old garment. You don't buy a new shirt to cut a piece out to put on an old shirt. That's what he was saying. There's a problem with that. You ruin the new by trying to fix up the old. And both are ruined. The old one isn't helped by this new patch. I remember years ago, I had some holes in my jeans and, and Chris sort of, uh, put patches on them for me. She put these little dinosaur patches, little cute dinosaur patches. I loved them. Now, she thought I was going to go to her and complain because you just pull that patch off and there's a, a regular patch that matches underneath. But I thought I liked them so much. It wasn't until like months or years later where I said, I still got those jeans you fixed up. She goes, you didn't take the patch off? Now, well, typically, unless you're odd like me, you want a patch that matches and when you take something off a new garment that's not faded and worn, it's not going to match the old garment. It's not going to be what you want. Both are ruined by that. But then Jesus says, and He gives this parable of, you, you don't put 
new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, as the wine begins to ferment, producing this gas, it stretches out these already stretched out wineskins and causes them to pop. That's not good for the wineskins. They're still useful. And it's not good for the wine that spills out all over the place. Both are ruined. Do you see what he's saying here? Both are ruined by trying to do this. You don't get one, you don't get the other. You lose both. There are two competing systems that Jesus is describing. One, a salvation by works. And two, salvation by faith. And it's not even about a distinction from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Because the Old Testament was also by faith. It was to point to a Savior. All of that system was to say, I can't do this. I need a real sacrifice. I need something better. I need a better sacrifice. God, you've got to provide it, and I'm going to trust you to do that. So it's, it's not about Old Testament, New Testament. It's about salvation by works, which the Old Testament was never about, and salvation by faith. The old ruins the new. The old system ruins the new. You can't put into the old the new and expect the character of it to be changed. And it ruins the new. You cannot mingle them. You cannot mingle faith and works and think that somehow that will save you. They must be separate. They have to be. Now, we could mention, I could mention, a religious system today that consistently tears apart the new garment to repair the dysfunctional old garment that they're trying to maintain when Hebrews 8 says it's obsolete and it needs to disappear. I could mention a religious system that has a continual sacrifice and an ongoing professional priesthood that promises freedom in the new garment in the name of Jesus, but is wrapped up and strangled by the old garment of works. We could mention that today, but I'm not going to. Jurors, please disregard the previous remarks. Now, I want to talk about you instead because... You matter to me. It's not that that people who are in that don't matter to me. They matter to me very greatly, individually, as people. The system I couldn't give a wit for, but the people I love, I bleed for, I cry and pray over. But I want to talk about you this morning because you're here, and you need to hear this as it relates to you, whether you're saved or not. Listen, you who have received Jesus as your Savior already, you who have been born again, let me tell you what you may be doing. You put new, a new patch onto an old garment when you try to justify yourself as a true Christian by pointing to your works to validate your salvation testimony. What do I mean? I mean this. You say, if somebody says, well, are you a Christian? You say, well, yeah, I tell people about Jesus. Of course I'm a Christian. I've got to be a Christian because why would I tell people about Jesus if I wasn't a Christian? Well, let me tell you about a whole bunch of other people I know are not Christians who tell people about Jesus. That can't be your basis. You're going to try to put a new patch on an old system of works to give yourself assurance of salvation when it can't do that. It was never designed to do that. Or you say, well, of course I'm a Christian because I read my Bible every day. Certainly I'm a Christian. I pray. No, no, no. You're mixing the old and the new. In other words, you're trying to gain assurance of your eternal life by looking to what you do instead of looking to what Jesus already did for you by His death and resurrection when you called on Him. 
Did he make you right in his sight? Then you don't need to look to those things. As soon as you start putting confidence in those things, you're no longer resting in our genuine hope of eternal life, our genuine assurance. Throw the old garment away, and I don't have an old garment to throw out this window. Some of you are laughing because you still remember what I threw out that window. (laughs) The old garment's about the same as the old window, but I mean the old leaven, but it's a little different. Sometimes you may be pouring new wine into old wineskins when you try to live out your life as a Christian without setting your mind on the Holy Spirit by recognizing your position in Jesus Christ as that which makes you righteous before God. In other words, the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you, like it says in Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for you because you are dead to the law. And so why would you look to the law to try to Say you're doing what God wants you to do. When you sin, what happens instead? When you're not recognizing what the Holy Spirit has done, when you sin, you condemn yourself as unworthy. I can't be a Christian. I I, I keep sinning like this. I mustn't be a Christian. I'm unworthy for it. Yeah, none of us are worthy for eternal life. I'm not worthy of God's mercy. I don't feel adequate to pray. And then somehow you think you have to kind of make up for your misdeed before you can come back. If that wouldn't work to save you, why would that work to make you right to be able to pray with God again? Don't mix the old with the new. Instead, listen to the Holy Spirit who says the wrath of the law has no power over you any longer. You've died and risen with Christ. Paul says it in Colossians chapter 3. If you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you are living in them, do you submit yourself to decrees like do not handle and do not taste and do not touch? And then in three, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, but if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. You're putting off the old man. You're putting on the new man. You're setting your mind on the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Set your mind on things above. For your life is hidden with Christ and God. It's there already. And so he says this very thing. You've died. You've risen. Listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Thirdly, you tear a bigger hole in your worn-out system when you seek to produce good works for the gospel instead of living out what God has already prepared for you to walk in. Listen, you wear yourself out by trying to do more. Certainly you're saved by faith, but now you've signed up for God's repayment plan. Oh, I can't work my way to heaven, but now I'm going to sign up because obviously I'm going to try to repay it. Get, Get rid of that whole concept of repayment when the payment's already made. Imagine this. Anybody here have a mortgage? No one. Okay, one, two, three, a couple. Wow, is everybody so old that they're already paid off? Uh, <laughs> listen. So one day the bank calls you and says, your $182,000 
has been taken care of by somebody else. You say, what? Yeah, somebody, came, somebody called, they paid off your mortgage, and you are clear. And you're jumping around and singing Jehovah Jireh and all of that. And, 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 and you call the bank and say, is it okay if I can have the name and address of the individual? I want to send them a thank you note. And they check with that person, and that person, person said yes, and they give you the name and address, and you send them a thank you note, and the next week you send them $1,000. And the following month, you send them another $1,000. You see what you're doing? You're taking the grace that was given to you, and in your mind, you're not free. In your mind, you're not free. God freed us from the law so that we might walk in the works He has already provided for us to do. And God will show you what those are. You don't have to buy works. Come up with them. God will put them in your heart. God will bring them to you through the day. And so we see this, we recognize this. Instead, excuse me, I just have to, blow my nose, it must be ragweed season. Instead, You're to walk in the good deeds of the Holy Spirit that He has privileged you, that He has graced you to carry out. You're not a child trying to earn His Father's approval, but you are a favored member of the King's family conducting the King's business as you go throughout your day. You have the privilege as you go through your day to speak about the grace of the King the grace of which you've become a partaker. You have to learn how to serve God in this new model. You can never pour your service to God into the old wineskins. Never work. You can't live out of tattered garments and trying to patch them up with some some kind of new stuff because what could never have saved you in the first place can never allow you to serve God in the second place. You know, early in my Christian life, I was saved. I called upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember where I was. There was a song you guys sang this morning. I remember where I was when the grace of God came and forgave my sin. I can drive you by it one day if you'd like to see where I was born again. But I I, I saw and understood the fact that my sins were removed. The grace of God had taken those sins and placed them on the cross. And I was free from the condemnation of God and given eternal life. However, I continued then to try to live by works. It It was awfully frustrating It wasn't until I saw what liberated me from the old garments, from the stretched out and punctured wineskins. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave Himself for me. There's two beautiful truths in that. Jesus lives in me. I'm no closer to God than any other Christian. I'm no further from God than any other Christian. Christ lives in me. And I'm seated at the right hand of God. Christ lives in me. And secondly, the life that I now live, I'm to live by faith. That's liberating. The life I now live, I'm to live by faith in Him 
for him who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith. So why then? And this, this is Jesus' concluding sentence here in verse 39. Why is it so hard to follow the new way and not slip back into the old way of thinking, the old way of serving? It's so easy. Why? Because I believe, I believe we're content with it. I believe it's very comfortable. I believe it's so familiar. Jesus tells us in verse 39, no one after drinking the old wine wishes for the new. He says the old is better. It's comfortable. We're comfortable. You know, I I had this old sweatshirt. My wife finally made me give up. I got it in college, and I only gave it up a few years ago. But it was, it was beautiful for a couple of reasons. Number one, it was beautiful because it was a great deal. I was rowing, and, and one of the guys on the team got, a, got these T-shirts, $5, and we all had them definition, like it had a crew oar on the front, and then like crew, a sport in which you're rowing, da-da-da. And, uh, you know, it's just like a little dictionary definition. It was pretty cool. We were wearing it at a race one day, and this girl came up to me, and, oh, I really like your shirt. And I said, oh, I like your sweatshirt. And she goes, well, I'll trade you. And so we did. And what a great deal for a cheap Frenchman. I got this awesome sweatshirt, this awesome rowing sweatshirt for a $5 T-shirt. So I was, like, excited about that. But then, it's so comfortable. For years I wore that thing, and it was tattered and torn. And my wife's like, when are you getting rid of that? And I'm like, I think it'll go through the wash one more time. (laughs) And um, it's so comfortable. Our old system is so comfortable. Our wanting to please God ourself is so comfortable. And mingling it never makes it better. It only destroys both. And that's what we see here. This is the way our flesh, our old nature, desires. The new way is not intuitive. It's physical. It's natural. The old way is not intuitive. I'm sorry, the the old way is intuitive. The old way is physical, it's natural, but the spiritual and supernatural, that's the new way. Life by the Holy Spirit and not life by the flesh. Based on a new relationship with God through His Holy Spirit and by faith, it's much easier to default to, the, to, to operate by the flesh. It's easy to operate by intuition, by our worldly wisdom, instead of living through the Holy Spirit and the teaching of faith. So much easier. The gospel and the Holy Spirit has not been received by us to be hung up in a closet and pulled out for special occasions. That's not it. We're to be living and walking in the Holy Spirit daily. And guess what? It's being renewed every day. So it never does get old. You don't have to worry about the new garment getting a hole, go work in your garden with the new garment and it will still be clean. When you are saved by faith in Jesus the Messiah, there is a new way that you are to walk, not to be mixed with the old way. Now, maybe you're here today and all you know is the old way. All you know is the old system, trying to work your way to earn eternal life. All you know is what Paul says in Romans chapter 10 in verse 5, where he says, Moses writes, the man who practices the righteousness based on the law must live by it. There's no other out for you. You're going to be wearing yourself out all your life trying to please God by your effort when there's only one thing for you to do. You're laboring under this broken system and you are so burdened 
one of, the, one of the beautiful things when I came to Christ was the removal of the fear of death. It was, it was almost palpable. The removal of the fear of death, I lived in the fear of death. What would happen when I died? Maybe you're here under that very burden. If you recognize the utter impossibility of your self-effort making you right with God, Jesus came especially for you. He said that in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll take that burden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You can't, you, you can't pull two yokes. You're either going to be with Jesus in His yoke, which is rest, or you're going to be under the yoke of the law, which is work and condemnation and death. Jesus came for you. He came to remove the burden of the law. He came to remove God's condemnation. He died on the cross and rose again to take your sin. The penalty for sin is death, and your sin is going to drag you to hell if you will not give it up for the Savior. If you will not say, Lord, I need you because I can't earn my way to heaven. But the promise is for you if you'll call upon Him, if you'll receive Him. If you need Christ today, if you're here without Christ, let me encourage you. We're going to close in just a moment. And as we do, would you just come to see me? Somebody will take you aside and pray with you to call upon the Lord, to receive Him as your Savior. If you need Him today, please don't put that off. Receive Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your grace that's found in Jesus Christ. You are great and glorious and holy, and no one can approach your throne apart from righteousness. Help us, Lord. I pray if there's someone here today, they would see their need to receive Christ, to be cleansed from their sin, to be given life, eternal life, to be fresh and new in you. Father, I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. We're going to sing Complete in Thee. Complete in Thee. As we begin to sing, would you come? Do you need Christ as your Savior? Please come. As we begin to sing, you come this morning. Complete in Thee, no work of mine may take dear Lord the place of thine thy blood hath pardoned bought for me and i am now complete in thee yea justified O oh blessed thought and sanctified salvation wrought thy blood hath pardoned bought for me and glorified i too shall be before we sing that second verse. Are you one of God's children? But have you been putting yourself back under that system? I tell you, repent today. Turn from that and see what Christ, recognize all He's done and rest in that. Don't put the two together. Keep them separate. One will not help the other. It'll destroy them both. Repent. Complete in thee, no more shall sin. Thy grace has conquered reign within. Thy voice shall bid the tempter flee. And I shall stand complete in thee. Yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and unified I too shall be. Complete in thee, each want supplied, and no good thing to me denied. Since thou my portion, Lord, will be, I ask no more, complete in thee. 
Yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. First, think about this. Before One day we're going to stand before God, complete in Him. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. Let's sing that together. Think about His work on our behalf. Dear Savior, when before thy bar all tribes and tongues assembled are, among thy chosen will I be at thy right hand, complete in thee. Yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Let us all pray and be dismissed at this time. Uh, we bless your name, O Lord our God, for great are you, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. That my soul knows right well. Such a great salvation is that which we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, may we not soon forget what we have heard this morning. Father, put off the old, put on the new, all the new, and be complete. Know we're complete in Jesus Christ. Nothing more need be done. And that we can be filled and walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and do as the Spirit would lead and guide us. Father, thank you for this time together. May we come back together again soon to worship you, to offer praise and thanks, glory, laud, and honor. Do your blessed and holy name. Pray and give our thanks to you all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you, you are dismissed.